Advent season, wonderful time of year. And um, if you're worshiping uh, with us for the first time, first of all, we're thrilled you're with us. And I just want to do a quick review of what the uh, Advent season meant to the ancient church 2,000 years ago, and, and it's handed down to us in our faith. And um, 2,000 years ago, the early church began to set this part of the year aside as the beginning of the year. And they did it for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, they believed God's word was true. In other words, throughout the, all the ancient promises, the ancient prophets had promised time and time again that someday Messiah was going to come into the world. And through Jesus' death, burial, and his, and his resurrection, the early fathers said, amen. It, it's Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. God's word is true. It's good. And Christ Jesus has come into our world. At the same time, this time of year, each year, they had great anticipation and hope because their expectation was that maybe this year the promise, the second promise of God would come true, that Jesus would come back. God promised that he would come the first time. He did when Jesus ascended to the Father. He said that he will return. And each and every year the church celebrates the hope, the possibility that this might be the year that Jesus will return. Now, when we look around the world today, we can't help but think that it could possibly be that the Lord is coming back soon. All the crazy turmoil that's happening everywhere. But despite all of that, we still have today, we have peace, and the, what we're focusing on this morning is we have joy. Now, last week, we pointed out that at any moment, Jesus could return. So what we talked about is, how would we get ready if that were true? This morning, we're going to shift things a little bit. The theme this morning is the, the joy that God has given to us through faith in Jesus Christ. So what we're going to think about in this time of year, there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of strain. For most people, it's a wonderful time of year, but for a lot of people, it's a very difficult time of year. If you've lost a loved one, you know your heartaches this time of year. If you're going through financial stresses, you're troubled this time of year. You might be lonely, feeling uh, on, on the outskirts of everything. Very difficult time of year. But what we're going to look at in a passage this morning is God's promise to turn the stresses of life into the joys of life. Now, how could that possibly be? Well, we'll take a look at that in the Word of God. So turn with me, if you would, to your New Testaments, to Philippians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you today, there's a handout that looks like this. Simply take that out, if you would. The Scriptures have been written out for you across the top of the page. Our reader this morning is our sister Christina is going to read it for us in English. And our brother Patrick is going to read it for us in French. And as they make their way to the pulpit, if you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of the Word of God. Good morning. Good morning. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard, will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. <laughs> Philippians chapter 4, 
verset 4, 4 à 7. Réjouissez-vous toujours dans le Seigneur, je le répète, réjouissez-vous. Que votre douceur soit connue de tous les, les hommes, le Seigneur est proche. Ne vous, ne, vous, euh, ne vous inquiétez de rien, mais en toutes choses faites connaître vos besoins à Dieu, pas de prières et de supplications. Avec des actions de grâce et la paix de Dieu qui surpasse toute intelligence, gardera vos cœurs et vos pensées en Jésus-Christ. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for the comfort that it gives us, particularly in our time of need. And we pray that your word would be a blessing to us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. May we see it? Thank you, Patrick. Merci. Thank you, Christina. So is it possible to turn stressful things into joyful things? Before we dive into it, uh, what is helpful for all of us is to get a little bit of the context of the passage to understand what's going on, particularly when it comes to joy. Uh, this is written by the Apostle Paul. His, his, he's writing this to a church that uh, he loves with all of his heart. He had started that church. And, um, but he is in prison. Now talk about stressful situations and whether or not you can have joy in stressful situations or disappointing situations. He's writing to them from chains in, in prison. So first of all, we need to note that. Second of all, he has a very tender heart towards them. They've uh, supported him in his time of need, so he's writing to thank them. In fact, scholars tell us that this, this particular letter, they, they say it, it's pervading with joy. It's just a, a, a wonderful affection throughout the uh, entire, entire letter. But there are problems, and there are problems within the church. In fact, if you backed up a few verses from what uh, uh, Christina and Patrick read to us, you would see that there was two ladies in the church that were having a struggle. They were having a struggle with one another because people outside the church were bringing persecution into the church and it was creating conflict within the church. So Paul, at this point in his letter, he's addressing that. But we see in the letter, he's talking about joy. In fact, we see in a moment that he says, rejoice in all things. Now, today you might be going through all kinds of different struggles. It might be financial, it might be emotional, it might be in relationships with, with other people, maybe you're strained with other people, could be any number of things. And you might feel like you're far from joy, but this passage tells us that there's some very practical things that we can, in a direction that we can move in, so that despite the stresses and the strains that we go through, we can actually experience joy. So Paul helps us see three very specific things that God can do and does do in our lives so that we might experience uh, relief from stress, that it might, in fact, turn stress into joy. So if you get a pencil out, I'm going to ask you to write down the first word this morning. And the first word is the word, surprisingly enough, joy. Jesus is my joy. Now, as you write that down, what you want to think about is this. You and I need something that's constant in our lives. If you think about it, everything in our lives is, is constantly changing from moment by moment. We have different opinions about people, we have different opinions about ourselves, that changes from moment to moment, but everywhere in life, financial, whatever it is, in society, culture, things are constantly changing, and consequently, because of that, we're constantly being stretched and pulled emotionally in all kinds of different ways. So what we need in our life is something that does not change. Now, what the Apostle Paul is saying to these two ladies that have conflict with one another, I understand that you're, you've wounded one another, you've hurt one another, 
But what I've got to do is, rather than correct you in what you're doing, what I want you to do is point you to something in your life that does not change, that you can build your life upon. And what he points them to is Jesus. Listen to what the scripture says in uh, John 15. Jesus' own words are this. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And understanding that joy is something that doesn't change. Happiness changes. Some days we're happy, some days we're unhappy. But joy is something that continues. It's steadfast. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Now, with that in mind, listen to what Paul says to them. Always be full of joy, listen to this now, in the Lord. So what's he telling them? You've got this conflict. You've got this difference. I want to remind you that you are in the Lord. He is your conscience. He is present in your life and both of your lives. So though you're going through this, the way you're going to change is to, to redirect your thinking, to get orientated one, once more in the Lord. So he says rejoice uh, once again. Verse 5, listen to this. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Some translations say, let everyone see your gentleness. Now, what is Paul talking about? Well, throughout this passage, this letter that he writes to them, he continually points back to a very critical point of his letter in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8. We'll take a look at it in just a moment. What he's reminding them of is this, that God in his love and grace in Jesus Christ, in his glory, left his glory, and he came into this broken world. Having come into this broken world, he gave up everything, every, everything about himself uh, on behalf of those in the world, on behalf of you and me. And what he's talking about is he went to a cross 2,000 years ago. You and I have sinned against God. We've broken his laws, and, and we deserve justice. But God in his love for us came into this world in Jesus, and he went to a cross, and he bore all of our sin on that cross. The innocent died for the guilty. And he gave himself up for each and every one of us. The Greeks have a word for it. It's called kenosis. It's called self-emptying. Now, I want to read it to you, what Paul's talking about in uh, Philippians 2. It's about halfway down your paper, and you can follow along as I read it. Who being in very nature God, Jesus was God, <clears throat> did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Instead, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in, in human likeness. He's made like you and me in every way. Whatever you've gone through in life, he went through life. If you've been rejected in life, he was rejected in life. If you were scorned in life, he was scorned in life. Everything that you face, he faced in his life. So he was made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's what Paul's talking about. That Christ Jesus, though he was God, the glory of God came into this world and emptied himself on your behalf and on my behalf. So he's saying to these two ladies, you've got a difference uh, between one another. You've been wounded by one another. But don't forget that Jesus was wounded too. And he gave up everything on your behalf so that you would begin to give up yourself on behalf of others. That you would think of yourself less and think of others more to being kind and considerate towards others. That's the portal. That's the doorway to joy. That though we go through the stresses and strains of life, we begin to understand that Jesus went through them for us so that through him we might experience more joy. Now he goes on to say at the end of that verse, excuse me, <clears throat> remember the Lord is coming soon. Now some translations say the, remember the Lord is near because when it's translated it can be either way. 
<clears throat> excuse me. So we're not certain if Paul is saying, well, Jesus is coming back soon, or Jesus is very near. So whatever you're going through, uh, remember, Jesus is, he's, he's there with you, with your, whatever you're going through. But at the same time, he's coming back soon. And you're going to be held accountable. So, so pay attention. So remember that as you go through these things, the home base is going to be your relationship to Jesus, your joy. I was talking to my uh, good friend, Pastor Frank, the other day, and we were talking about this, and he was reminding me of, uh, of the hurricanes. We, we, uh, in the fall, we get the hurricanes that come through, and uh, on the outside of the hurricane is where the, the great storm is, the swirling winds and so on and so forth. But on the middle of the hurricane, it's amazing, they're what they call the eye. Everything is spinning. We all know that spins around the center. But in that eye, that's where everything is, is quiet. It's peaceful. And he was saying that as we, as Christians in particular, we go in, we, all of a sudden there's storms in our lives. And the first thing we want to do is we want to run. Don't we? Don't you? I do. We, I want to run away from the storm. I, I want, to, want to run away from conflict. I want to run away from anything that makes me uncomfortable. But what Paul is saying is, don't do that. Press into it, because as you go into it, you will find the eye of the storm. That's where Jesus is. Now, you've got to go out on the other side, so you've got to go back into the storm. But when you find the presence of Christ, the joy of Christ in your life, you're going to go through that storm, but you're going to go through, through it with him. So it begins with understanding, uh, Jesus is my joy. Now, secondly, we've got to appropriate that uh, to our lives. It's great to have doctrine. It's great to have somebody say that. But we've got to put it into action. It's got to be practical in our lives. So the second word I want you to write down, if you look at the bottom of your paper, is the word focus. Jesus is my focus. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That's the love that he had for you and me. He was willing to go to the cross, suffer the cross on our behalf, scorning its shame. And listen to this. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God because he is sovereign over his creation. He's in control of everything. So when you and I go through the stressful things, when you and I go through the disappointments, the discouragements, he's not falling off his throne. He saw them before they happened. He's with you as you go through them. So, so the writer wants us to see that what we need to do in those times of trial, we're going to look at it in just a moment what Paul teaches us, is we change our focus. Now watch this. If you look <clears throat> at the passage, verse 6, Paul says, don't worry about anything. Now think about that for a moment. That's a command. You and I will say to one another, listen, try not to worry about what you're going through. Don't we? We say try not to worry. Well, the Apostle Paul says, don't worry. Don't worry about it. Now, why? How could he say something like that, particularly if somebody's going through, through deep trials, painful trials? Well, it's because what he says next. He says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Okay, do you see that contrast that he's doing? Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Now, what's the significance of that? The significance is simply this. What we do when the difficulties come in, the disappointments, the worries, the anxieties, what we typically do, we all do this, is we focus on that, don't we? We start thinking about, we go over and over in our mind, I've lost my job, or this person's offended me, or whatever it is. And three o'clock in the morning, we're tossing and turning because we're focusing our little brains on what has happened to us, okay? So it becomes like an idol that we're worshiping. 
our mind is on it over, and we go over it and over it and over it. Okay, are you getting the picture? <laughs> Anybody want to say amen here? <laughs> okay, or am I the only one? Yeah, we, we, we focus on it. Well, now, what, what Paul is saying is, listen, take a time out, okay? Take a time out in your life. I know that you're going through this. I know that you're struggling with it. I know that you're suffering with this. But what I want you to do is want to shift your focus and turn it away from your problem and turn it to God. That's what prayer is. It's simply shifting our focus from here to God. And he says, pray to God about everything. So so what happens is we begin to bring it, we begin to lay it at God's feet rather than at our own feet. And listen to what he says next. It's really strange, hard to understand. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And then listen to this. Thank him for it. Thank him for all he has done. Now how strange is that? When's the last time you thanked God because difficulties came into your life? Yet that's what Paul says. Thank God for, and he says it time and time again throughout his letters, thank God for everything. How do you thank God when you've got all these difficulties and challenges in your life? Well, first of all, it's practical. See, you can focus on your problem. You can focus on your anxiety. Focus on your worry. Focus on your wounds and so on and so forth. The hurts in your life. Or you can thank God for them. Now, whatever one you do, it's not going to change the circumstance, right? If you've lost your job and you're fretting over it and worrying it over it, is somebody going to come along and say, you know, I've created a new job for you because I've heard you're worried about that? It's not going to happen, okay? It's not going to change the circumstances. No matter how much you worry, no matter how late you stay up at night, it's not going to change the circumstance. But if you thank God for that circumstance, it's going to change you. And the stress is going to begin to lighten because you have prayed and you're praying about it and you're bringing it to God. So that's the difference. We all take pictures with our, with our uh, mine's around here someplace, our, our iPhones or whatever, we take the digital pictures. But some of us remember a few years ago, the cameras, you'd uh, turn your camera on and, and the, uh, immediately the lens would go out. Remember that? Well, the lens is going out. Whatever you're pointing it at, the lens is going out because it's, the light is hitting the subject. It's, it's coming through that lens, and it's making, it was making an imprint on the negative, right? That's what the, the, the camera would do. The, the, it would, the image would come through and make an imprint on the negative. Well, listen, you and I can spend a lot of time focusing on our problems, and it's going to make an imprint on our soul. It's going to make an imprint on the negative in our lives. Or we can put our focus on God. And what God can do for it. He's seated on his throne. He's in control. He's in charge of everything. He's the solution to our problem. So we can make a choice. We can focus on the problem or we can focus on God. When we focus on God, the stress is going to get a little less stressful. And we're going to open the door for a little more opportunity of joy in our life. Turning stress into joy. Because what Paul wants these two ladies to see, and God wants you and me to understand is that ultimately what our life is all about is Jesus. He's our life. Listen to what Paul says next in the passage. Then you will experience God's peace. I mean, that's what we want in our lives, isn't it? We want peace. Our lives are in constant turmoil. Our culture is in constant turmoil. The world is in constant turmoil. Look at the crazy political season. It's constant turmoil. And what do we want? We want peace in our lives. Well, the only place we find peace is in God. 
Now, when you and I think of peace, we think of uh, two warring armies. They've laid down their weapons and they've declared peace, that there's a truce. But that's not the peace that Paul is talking about, and that's not the peace God is talking about. Listen to what Jesus says in uh, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. That's where the, the, the war between the nations has stopped, or the war between two people has stopped. No, he says, I don't give you that peace. I give you a peace that, that, that transcends understanding. So do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Do not be anxious. Do not be worried. I want to turn your stresses, not, not, I don't want to take them away, I want to turn them into joy. Listen to what, the, what he says in the rest of the passage. This peace which exceeds anything we can understand, and his peace, not only that, it will guard your hearts and minds. Now, in the ancient day, day when they, they read this letter, they knew exactly what Paul was talking about. He, he's using a metaphor there, a picture for them. And it's simply this. In the, uh, in the ancient world, if a village or a town was attacked by enemies, uh, the, Roman, the Roman army would come in and they would build a garrison around that village and protect the, uh, protect the village from the enemy so that the people inside the village would have peace. So that anything that came at them, they knew that that, that Roman guard was, gonna, was going to protect them. Now that's what Paul is saying. That when we make Jesus our joy, when we begin to focus on him more and more, and we begin to realize that he is our very life, God is going to respond to that kind of faith, and he's going to build an embankment around our hearts, our minds, the places where we're constantly torn up and worried, and he's going to protect us and give us a peace that transcends all understanding. And where is it? Well, the very last part of the, of the verse. As we live in Christ Jesus, okay? As we live in Christ Jesus. You see, what Paul is talking about is that we're born of the Spirit of God, the moment that we trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. If we have not done that, we're not in Christ Jesus. We need to get into Christ Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. In fact, this is your what to do for the week. I challenge you to read this over numerous times. In fact, I challenge you to take the time and memorize this because this will be great value to you, particularly when you go through those stressful and trying times. It's going to open up the portal of your soul to God's peace in your life. Listen to what Jesus says. Come to me. Don't come to, to a philosophy. Don't come to a, a religion. Come to me. Come to Jesus. All you who are weary and burdened, and I, he doesn't say, I might give you rest. I hope I can give you rest. He says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn more of Christ Jesus. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Don't we want that? Don't we want to see the stresses the disappointments, the discouragements, the wounds in life be changed and transformed rather than focus on, on them all our lives. We want them to be turned into joy. But the way that happens is we've got to make, we, there's got to be something in our life that doesn't change. And Jesus said, I am the same today, yesterday, and forever. And we've got to build our life on that which doesn't change, which is Christ Jesus. And the way we do that is we focus on him. We pray to him, we surrender to him, we humble ourselves before him. And we begin to realize more and more that he's not just somebody out there, he's in here through faith, and he is our very life. 
Peggy and I went to uh, high school with a great, great guy named uh, Walker Hutchins. And, um, and uh, uh, Tina's going to come up and play here for us. And after high school was over, we graduated, and Walker went on to, uh, went on to Florida. He's kind of trying to find himself, and uh, he became a Finnish carpenter. Very skilled Finnish carpenter, very, very impressive. But um, back in the late 70s, somewhere along the late 70s, early 80s, he started feeling kind of miserable. And um, so he went to the doctor, and uh, they did a battery of tests on him, and they found out that he had testicular cancer. And what they found was that he had a, um, inside of his abdomen, he had a, uh, a tumor the size, at that point in time, it was a tumor the size of a grapefruit, for Pete's sake. So back in, in the late 70s, early 80s, the doctors said that uh, what we'll, we can, uh, we want to first of all remove the tumor, second of all we'll do radiation, but because of this type of cancer, um, to be upfront and honest with you, there's just not a whole lot we can do for you. So basically they gave Walker a, uh, a death sentence. Now Walker's dad was the uh, pastor at Stroudwater Baptist before me for years and years and years, Morris Hutchins, he and his wife Phyllis. So he called his father and he told him the news and uh, he said, uh, but dad, I'm, I'm trusting in Jesus. Uh, but he said, I want to come home. So he came home, went from Florida back to Maine and um, what he decided to do was to call all of his friends back in Maine, he got them together and he talked to them and he said, this is what's happened. I've basically, basically been given a death sentence and um, I just want to let you guys know that I love you and because I love you, I want you to know that, uh, that God loves you. God wants to forgive your sins, and he wants you to be born of the Spirit of God. And if I'm going to go to heaven, I want someday to know that you're going to be there in heaven someday as well. So he shared the gospel with them, and uh, his friends, most of his friends, uh, they, they came to faith in Jesus. Well, he had to go back to Florida because they were going to uh, do surgery on him to remove the tumor. And when he got back to Florida, he went into the, uh, the office, and they did... Uh, they did lab work for him before the surgery, and um, he gets a phone call, and uh, the lab technician said, Walker, I'm just calling to tell you, I don't know how to tell you this, but oh, I'm sorry, I missed a very important part. Let me, let me <laughs> very important part. When he got back to uh, Florida, uh, he called his father, and he said, Dad, now he's, these are staunch Baptists, he said, Dad, um, I feel like God is, is calling me and compelling me and telling me to go to this Pentecostal church because they've got a healing service. What do you think? So Morris said, basically, are you crazy? Of course, go to that healing service. I forget if it was a Friday night or when it was or a Sunday morning, whatever it was. Uh, he, he made plans to go. Well, Morris picks up the, after he talked to his son, he, he dials the phone and he calls the deacons at Stroudwater and he said, um, Walker's about to go in for surgery, but he's going to go to this healing service. And Phyllis and I want to go, so would you find somebody else to preach for us Sunday? So they, they said, no problem. So they hang up the phone. About 10 or 15 minutes later, the deacon calls back, calls uh, Morris back, and he said, Morris, I just want to let you know we're all set. We've got somebody that will preach Sunday. But the church has taken up an offering, and they've just ordered your, your plane ticket. So you're all set to fly out tomorrow morning. So the church took care of the plane ticket. It was a Thursday morning, I think. They got on the plane. They flew, down to, um, they flew down to Florida. And they went to that service with, uh, with, uh, with Walker. And um, he came forward, and people laid hands on him, and they prayed for him to be healed and so forth. And Walker said, I didn't feel anything. 
There was no tingling, there was no nothing. I didn't feel any different when I left the building before I came into the building. Well, a few days later, his parents went back home. A few days later, they did the lab work and uh, he gets a phone call and the guy says, I don't know how to tell you this, but there's not a trace of cancer in your blood. And Walker said, you're kidding. He said, no, I'm not kidding. There's not a trace of cancer. I've sent the report to the doctor. A little while later, the doctor calls him and the doctor says, uh, don't, be fooled by, don't be fooled by that. that those, those reports can be wrong. You still need to go through the, with a surgery. And he said, well, I don't know. I think I've been healed. He said, no. He said, you've got to go through the surgery. This is life and death. You've got to go through the surgery. Well, they hung up. He called his father and he said, dad, there's no cancer in me. What do I do? They're saying I, I need to go through the surgery. And his father said, well, I believe God healed you. He said, well, what do I do? He said, I can't make that decision for you, Walker. You've got to make that decision. So Walker said, I'm not going to go through with the, with the surgery. Called the doctor back. The doctor was furious, but he never went through with, with the surgery. Now listen, if you listen to the radio, some of you listen to K-Love or you listen to WGME or whatever it is, every once in a while you'll hear an ad and it goes something like this. Hutchins and Burpee funeral home, so on and so forth, have your funeral done with us. Well, that's Walker Hutchins. He owns about four different funeral homes and he is healthy as a horse. He was completely cured of that cancer. Now, the crisis came into his life and he was scared like any one of us would be. But you see, he had a grounding and that grounding was Jesus. That was his joy. Despite the storm that he went into, it was his joy. And in that storm, he made a choice not to focus on the cancer, but to focus on God. And through that, Christ Jesus' life brought him through all that he faced. Now, you're going through trials. And if you're not going through trials, they're coming soon. And you've got a choice in your life. You've got to figure it out. We've all got to figure it out. What's going to be our home base? What is it that's in our life that doesn't change? God says it's Jesus. But even if you've got Jesus in your life, you've got to make a choice. Are you going to focus on him or are you going to focus on the trials and the difficulties of your life? For those of you that focus on Jesus, the trials will continue to come. But your life is going to get stronger. Because despite the trials, those stresses, those strains, those disappointments... God's going to turn them into joy. Let's pray. God, we thank you for, oh man, how do we thank you? How do we put it into words? For you, God, has given to us Jesus Christ. And we live in a crazy, broken world. And in this crazy, broken world, Lord, it's very easy for us to be anxious and worried we pray, God, that we would find that home base in Jesus. And not just to find him, but to focus on him, surrender to him, humble ourselves before him. So that his life would come alive in us more and more and more. God, we're about to witness two wonderful young men that have chosen Jesus. And because of that, they've chosen to follow him through the waters of baptism. And God, we're just excited. We want you to bless them. May they know that this is a special day in their lives, in their spiritual lives. 
Lord, I pray today for anybody here that has not found Jesus, made him the center, the, the very life, your very life. Today's the day. This is your opportunity. We've been condemned because of our sin, but Jesus paid for our sins once and for all from that cross. And he offers to us this free, wonderful, beautiful gift, but we've got to, we've got to receive it. We've got to humble ourselves and receive it. Nobody can do that for us. We've got to do it ourselves. If you would like to do that, if you'd like to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, this is your opportunity. I, I plead with you, seize this opportunity. And it's simply opening your heart to the love of Christ by saying a little prayer. It's not the prayer. It's whether or not you were willing to ask God to forgive you and to give you eternal life. And if you'd like to do that, simply say this. You can say it in the quietness of your own mind. You don't have to say it out loud. Just simply say this. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess I've sinned against you. Just quietness of your own mind. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess I've sinned against you. And I'm sorry for my sins. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Dying on the cross for me. Simple as that. And here's the critical part. Say, dear Lord, here and now, today, this very moment, dear Lord, here and now, come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Then say, Lord, I want to live my life for you. I want to live my life for you. I want to know joy. I want to focus on you. I want you to be my life. And then say only what faith can say. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me eternal life. Thank you for making me your child now. And God, I pray for anybody that has said that prayer this morning. Bless them. Wrap your loving arms around them. Affirm to them that there's something brand new now in you. For the rest of us, Lord, we, we just thank you again. We just are in constant awe of you, God, and all the, the beauty that you brought into our lives. So we pray for this and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. We're going to invite you, if you would, to stand with us. And um, I think we're singing Hark the Herald. Is that right? Or It came upon a midnight clear? Yes.